The Self-Aware Leader Conclusion Seeing the End Goal I started out in the music field, supervising a group of roadies that set up Christian concerts in auditoriums. We wore black shirts and understood that duct tape solved most of life's practical problems. We once hired a company who had just worked with a major secular band to run sound for one of our shows. As their crew set up the speakers and microphone stands, they began to measure the distances between various instruments on the stage. The guy became confused in his counting. It was rock and roll, after all, and then stopped. He eyeballed it and said to his partner, Oh, well, close enough for Christian rock. My crew chuckled nervously. Truthfully, the guy was right. We Christians aren't as concerned about precision as what they were accustomed to in mainstream shows. Some things seem less important. However, that day's comment has stuck with me for 30 years because it was about more than where to put a microphone stand. It was about excellence and the perception that Christian music was comfortable with mediocrity. Those of us in ministry get a bit fidgety when we talk about how to expect, pursue, and manage excellence. We don't want to appear focused on the superficial, and we certainly don't want to take a tyrannical posture to getting things done. But I'm not sure we're convinced that excellence matters on the production side. But imagine getting a book in your hand and finding it full of typographical errors, or watching a movie where the sound was distorted. We'd think that someone involved didn't care. That's the impression we can give when we don't pursue our best in ministry. Amazingly, God has entrusted His message, ministry, and church to us. We play a role in organizing and leading Christian ministry. That certainly creates a performance pressure at times. Only mystics would say otherwise. Though most ministry has no actual stage, some days walking out our front door feels like we're walking into the spotlight. What will happen today? What problems will arise that we'll need to solve? Who will need a listening ear at the last minute? How will God lead me today? We are participants in the mission of God. We can choose to be disobedient, to be legalistic, or to shrink from our responsibilities. We can choose to be overbearing or be like the servant who buried his talents in the ground, either fearful to make a mistake or too lazy to work with what he had been given. Or we can choose to do the work necessary so we are well prepared and well practiced to do our part. Like Paul, we can choose to press on to take hold of what Christ has called us to. Press on. Make it count. I like that phrase. It serves as a checkpoint for me to do my best toward achieving the end goal. The Apostle Paul said something similar. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Colossians 3.23 The phrase, all your heart, means to do so willingly, with all of your life inner self, and distinction as is possible. Make it count with all your might and heart. What can we do now to make the most of our ministry days? Rather, what role should excellence play day to day as we focus on the end goal? This book has dealt with a range of blind spots common to young leaders. I want to wrap up this book with some very practical ideas for your ministry leadership. If our desire is to do our best where God has placed us, then these are meant to encourage you to run your best. Be enthused. Enthusiasm is not extroversion, nor is it being excited. It is demonstrated confidence for what one believes and does. We often call it passion. The biblical word is translated as zeal or single-minded desire. 
It's interesting that there's a relationship between enthusiasm and devotion, isn't it? Some denominational traditions are skeptical of celebration and joy. We think holy and worshiping people have to look like they're in pain or discomfort. I've seen many worship music leaders, and I am one, who seem unhappy as they lead. Though we're comfortable with adults demonstrating exuberance for their sports teams, even dressing in costumes, we are suspicious of people who are joyful about God. I once got a call from a man who wanted to be an intern in the ministry I led. He said he wanted to be my shadow and learn how to speak, teach, and lead up front. But problems emerged immediately. Every time I handed him the microphone, he shrank back, figuratively and literally. His head dropped, he stepped back from the group, and his tone lacked conviction. I tried to work with him, and each week he said, Yeah, yeah, I've got it now. And the following week, his stage presence was lackadaisical. When he began to speak, the teenagers lost interest almost immediately, and I eventually had to put him in a different ministry role. Like it or not, dynamic, positive, upbeat presence communicates conviction, and it reflects the presence of God within us. In fact, persuasion research shows we think someone is more credible the more they show enthusiasm. This effect is the reason that infomercial hosts are loud and expressive or why politicians walk on stage with a big smile, happy waves, and even clapping with the audience. Enthusiasm stimulates people to listen. Enthusiasm is more than just personality. I've seen even the most introverted people find how to express themselves and connect well with others in life-changing ways. Certainly, we don't want to be misguided in our enthusiasm, but even that line of thinking shows we don't know what genuine enthusiasm is. Our enthusiasm flows out of our joyful confidence in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. If we aren't drawing deeply from God, then all of it is a veneer. Perhaps these five elements of true enthusiasm will help. Number one, we are convinced. Enthusiasm is not volume, it's conviction. We are drawn to those who are convinced. Without conviction, enthusiasm can become manipulation or intimidation. Number two, we are prepared. Preparation means we have spent time developing, reviewing, and revising the material. Perhaps no other habitual practice separates productive leaders from the rest. Number three, we engage others. Enthusiasm assumes genuine interest in others. When there's little attention given to those we lead, enthusiasm becomes self-serving. Number four, we are positive. We're committed to helping people take their best next steps. True enthusiasm stands alone in a world too used to criticism and negativity. Number five, we stay fresh. We are fresh when we are staying spiritually vibrant, physically fit, and mentally healthy. Where there's a lack of enthusiasm, weariness isn't far behind. Develop Endurance Christian ministry resembles a long-term investment more than a pawn shop transaction. We aren't letting people hold something valuable in exchange for just a little of our time or attention. We are putting smaller bits of attention into them regularly over a long time. The economy of people work isn't built around one-shot chances like a lottery, but in two significant ways it's built on the principle of compounding interests. First, small things over time add up to something valuable. Second, ministry's effect is usually best calculated in the future rather than in the moment. 
Sometimes what seems to have gone wrong, God will use in dramatic ways. Andrew Root, author and professor at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, has championed Endurance's role in a Christ-centered theology of incarnational relational ministry. Our presence in others' lives is not message-dependent or veiled in a way to control or manipulate others into doing what we want them to do. Instead, we offer godly teaching, counsel, and faithful presence in others' lives. We share with them in joy, suffering, and life, and for the long haul, regardless of their response to our message. Root says our relationships are to be unconditional, agenda-free, and Christian. Endurance stands in a marked contrast to today's I quit culture, which says that if you don't like something, you can just quit. If the job is too tough, just quit. If you don't like a coach, just quit the team. If you aren't fulfilled in your marriage, just quit. If your pastor says something you don't like, you can attend another church or just quit going at all. If no one is responding the way you want in the work that God gave you, quit. Mary Beth has been counseling with Lori for over 23 years. When the two met, Lori really shouldn't have been alive given all of the abuse and lifestyle choices she had experienced. Their relationship has gone through its share of ups and downs. There have been multiple periods of prodigal exploration to every imaginable extreme, sudden starts and stops marked by long periods of Lori's silence and anger. Mary Beth just modeled an I'm-not-going-anywhere attitude, having gone through other don't-talk-to-me periods with Lori before. Some Christians, churches, and ministries gave up on Lori along the way. She certainly made it difficult turning on the people who love her the most. The churches didn't know what to do with someone who wouldn't clean up within six months and who had more than a few very public failures within the small community. Those cause embarrassment and frustration for churches, ministerial staff, and Mary Beth. But Mary Beth and her family aren't going anywhere because Jesus didn't quit. Even to the very end, he forgave. Over two decades of presence and prayer may be what it takes for someone to experience Christ's forgiveness and redemption, which Lori has. The spiritual growth in Lori over the last two years has been remarkable and she's found a church that provides the needed support for her to take healthy steps, even though it sometimes feels like three steps forward and two steps back. Lori will make it, but it won't be easy for her or for those who work with her. Here's a secret about long-term ministry. There will be periods of discouragement, sometimes long periods. Eugene Peterson described them as the Badlands, like the desolate rocky area in South Dakota. One period may last for years. Don't give in too fast or give up too soon unless God makes it clear that it's time. There are times, of course, when you will need to move on, but you have to be very sure because quitting when it gets tough or when facing opposition or even rejection is not biblical. It's more cultural. Whether it's volunteering at a church, serving on a university campus, or on a church staff, Your long-term presence and persistence may have a fruitful season ahead, one beyond your imagination, if you stay and continue to till the soil. In ministry, we usually expect way too much change in one year and way too little in four. Express empathy. If there ever was a golden ticket, a la Willy Wonka, to get inside the guarded fence of other people's lives, it would be empathy, 
our capacity to look at life from the other person's perspective. When I watch people who connect well with others, empathy is always present. Have you connected so deeply with someone that you knew they understood the real you? Maybe it was a coach, teacher, pastor, or one of your family members. When you were facing the pain of a lost animal, that person was quick to say, I bet that hurts. That dog listened to you when no one else would, right? They listened carefully to your heart, looked for clues about your connection, and shared the pain before they offered cures. The Apostle John describes Jesus' empathy this way, He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And later, when Mary was weeping near Lazarus' grave, Jesus wept. Clearly, Jesus was capable of giving Lazarus life, but he was also capable of empathizing with Mary's loss and joined her in her grief. Those who can connect well with us understand and can relate such in a way that we want to be with them. If I gave you one skill to learn that will have immediate and positive effect on your ministry and life, it's this. Empathy connects us with others. It's often described as sharing our hearts. It starts with prayerful listening before you speak and hearing questions before you give answers. Enthusiasm and empathy give life and breath to ministry. Their opposites deflate relationships and community. Effective Teaching You have probably heard this question. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? I ask a similar one. If a teacher teaches in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does learning take place? Well, of course not, we would say. Yet sometimes the evaluation of teaching and events happens as if the presence and participation of learners didn't matter. We analyze the presentation, the media, and music, and remember the illustrations we used. We may even talk about how attentive the audience seemed as we talked. But the criteria for effectiveness should have little to do with how smooth the technology or transitions went. The evaluation should focus on the learning that took place, of the changes in the thinking and lives of the learners. We measure effectiveness by the learner's growth. Think about the teaching sessions and events that led to lasting change in your own life. Think about the teacher who changed your approach to God, the small group leader who consistently challenged you to follow God's lead. What did they do? How did they make the sessions point toward deep engagement with the pain of the world and the power of God? Think about the conference where every program element was so well-crafted that no one was confused and God grabbed a hold of lives. Apply what they did to your own teaching. Have an engaging style. There is a new reality for ministry leaders in our interactive open-source world. The days of participation out of obligation have faded. People only show up to things that are meaningful to their lives. So something other than duty or gaining information prompts people to show up. People pay attention to what is meaningful, to what helps them grow and live better tomorrow than they did yesterday. We share the divine answer to that quest, usually from the middle of a community of fellow seekers. Almost everyone I know who is successful in ministry is engaging in some way. Some are engaging in front of large groups. Others are engaging because they listen and understand well in small groups. Engaging means that we connect in ways that are meaningful to others. Think about the people who choose to be around Jesus. 
Luke tells us that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Mark says that many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples because there were many who followed him. It wasn't because Jesus was letting them off the hook, but Jesus engaged with and valued the people who came to him, and they responded to his message. Encourage others in their faith. We often think of encouragement as affirmation, but what if we saw it more like giving hope as we encourage others to persevere, to continue on? A frequent command of Jesus was, Fear not. Some might think it would have been, Repent or obey. But Jesus knew that fear is a debilitating problem. In the middle of fear, experiencing hope through encouragement gives strength to continue. Giving hope is what effective leaders do. Jesus did this with his disciples at the Last Supper. He encouraged them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John chapter 14, verse 27. If you want to make a difference in the spiritual lives of others, cheer them on to keep running the race, to not be afraid, and to trust in Jesus as they follow him. All the way to the finish line. When I started developing this book, I wanted it to be an encouragement to not have a negative tone and to help us develop greater awareness without taking the focus off of Jesus. In the last few months, I have wrapped up my writing. God has worked with me on two topics from this book. Ministry's race is long, and though it may be going well, I've discovered that reviewing this book regularly has helped me discover where I've gotten off course. The older I get, the more I see that a fundamental goal to our Christian work is to draw close in intimacy and loving obedience to Jesus and to help others to do the same. I love the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Its words have been constant reminders of the ultimate goal for each day along ministry's journey. At the end of my days, I want to be able to look back and say with confidence, This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. The coach of coaches will run alongside us at times, cheering us along each winding path, working to keep us from strain. It's up to us to respond to his guidance and be in our best shape so we can hear and heed his voice. May you run the race of ministry to the finish line in great faithfulness, vigilant, and attentive to blind spots that work to impede faithfulness and effectiveness. And may God do his creative and fruitful work through you wherever he leads you and in whatever capacity he places you.